Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. Today, I'm joined with Solo and Rob. The topic of today's conversation is being warriors for Christ in this day and age we're in right now. And how does that look and how does it practically roll out for us? And how can we achieve these, these aims of being disciples of Christ, um, seekers of God and, and warriors for God? Not not light content to talk about. Um, nice to meet you, Rob. Nice to meet nice you, Nikos. Good to be here. Good to chat on this topic. It's, a, it's an important one this day and age, this time of our lives, I think. Um, maybe I'll just jump in and give a little bit of my background, I guess, yeah. Rob. Right. And um, let's see. Um I mean, the topic is Warriors for Christ. I'll just say that, you know, I came to Christ just a few years ago, basically, in, in a pure sense. I would like to say that I lived my whole life as a with Christian values in the, the family that I was raised. Always been a good person. Um, always operated in my life in a way that says, uh, do the right thing when no one's looking kind of thing, you know. Um but was never going to be somebody who said, hey, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. So it wasn't authentic to me. Um, so I always kind of said, hey, I can't join that club until, I guess I would say now, the good Lord moves me to embrace that in, a, in an authentic way. And so a little more than two years ago, that, that event happened for me um, on that topic. And my work background somewhere in the neighborhood of 25 years of kind of in the innovation problem solving reality. Um, I've worked with organizations like Nike for a number of years, sports industry, other sports industry players um, that led me into government DOD kind of realities, uh, which took me more in the special operations side of things uh, as a problem solver, not as a door kicker or, or a, combative element, more supporting those, those uh, assets in the JSOC and SOCOM reality, kind of the tier one, tier two world. And that could be anywhere from equipment to technologies, to human performance, to medical solutions as well. Um, sat on a Harvard think tank for a, a bit, worked on DARPA projects, a um, little bit of overlap at the agency, the agency. And, um, and, and then did a, a little tour of duty with Kanye West as his chief advisor. So had a, had a pretty wide experience set, um, across a few decades and have been blessed enough to support initiatives that were by many accounts at each, at each turn, kind of impossible tasks. And then based on kind of being an intersection of really high performers in, in those various industries uh, was generally enabled to solve problems that people felt were impossible. And so over the decades of doing that stuff, it kind of emboldened me to be a believer in the context of anything is possible. If the right people are sitting at the table with the right, open-mindedness and the right belief set. And um, so, of course, with all that and getting saved, so to speak, um, coming out of, you know, a lifetime of martial arts, working in the military, looking at systems across multiple industries, 
and then experiencing what we did in this global pandemic where everyone was locked down and everyone was um, asked to put on a face covering and everyone was locked in their living quarters pretty much worldwide. Um, as a believer, it made me wonder where are the disciples of God, where are the warriors of Christ that will kind of just stand up and speak out against what ended up kind of becoming a bit of a oppression against people's faith and the way they want to um, pursue their faith, I guess, you know, I'm not, I'm personally not heavily religious. You know, I use kind of words like a little bit derogatorily, like churchianity and Christianese and things like that, that some of my mentors have kind of educated me on that, that become catch-alls for trying to avoid Christianese trying to avoid churchianity, no disrespect. I know you're a pastor, Rob. So, you know, that's your, your walk. And so, um, thank you. Um, so, so anyway, that, that's my background. That's kind of a little bit of a breadcrumb trail as to why this topic has become something important to me. And so, and talking to Nikos about it, you know, um, we're on different continents, obviously, and so, but faith is a global thing for our, our species, so to speak, and so we, we, we've had a lot of exchanges about different challenges that different regions of the world and different geologies and different cultures have, and so I think when, you know, you're, you're there where he is, you know, and you guys obviously talked about it, he brought it up to you and invited you to have this conversation because he knows that I try to have this conversation about kind of like warriors for Christ or I have a group of guys that we do something we call a fight club for Christ essentially. And so um, we get together once a week and we go through scriptures and we, we tailor the whole conversation around what it means to be a man of God in the, in the modern time, um, what it means to be willing to step up in your community and be a beacon for, uh, for light or for, for God or for people being able to have their sovereignty, so to speak. And so, um, you know, I try to choose my words carefully because, you know, they're very inflammatory these days, as you, as you know, as a leader of, of, of a church. So, um, anyway, that's probably enough for me to start, but, um, that's kind of gives you, gives you an idea of where I come from and a little bit about, my reason for engaging in this conversation and, you know, look forward to like talking more and hearing your thoughts on, on the topic in a loose sense. So thanks. I think that for me, it's, it's easier to be a light for Christ or a leader for Christ inside of a community or society that already has strong relationships. People have, you know, they know their neighbors, they know their friends, they have, they have closer networks and certain larger cities, that can be sometimes maybe more difficult when people are more geographically spread out where you only see them once a week. So I found that being in, in London, a lot of the time where it takes like an hour to get everywhere, it's hard to really foster those close relationships. Like if you only see somebody once, twice a week, you're not really going to be able to you know, make make that kind of like consistent building up strong relationships and then building up consistent discipleship and, and that kind of thing. And I think that's why where I am right now, I quite like it. It's a smaller town. It's a bit easier to to sort of get that 
daily unity, you know? Sure. Well, I mean, I have a comment to that, but I'd love to have Rob introduce himself and share where he is on his walk and response to this thought. I'll come back to that, Nikos. Sorry. I'm from the States. My parents were born in Slovakia. My father was actually born in the States, but he grew up in Slovakia because his father went back when he was two. But then he came back to America. And uh, I was raised in a Roman Catholic family, went to Roman Catholic high school for a year. And uh, and then uh, just went full scale into the world when I was in high school, did everything wild and crazy. And then was just very lost in my life. And then my mother brought home a book called The Lake Great Planet Earth from one of the, she worked at a restaurant. One of the business guys came in and handed her the book. I read the book part of it and realized Christ was coming back and that I was going to hell. And I thought, if he's coming back, I am absolutely going to hell. I am so sinful. And then I received Christ five five months later. I I sought Christ. I, I, I asked everyone at every party I went to, where do I find God? Nobody knew. And then God found me when I was in university, had my cross hanging down from my neck and lady approached me and led me to the Lord. That was 1976, and so it's 46 years later. Wow. I went to Bible school, got married the day after I graduated, and then um, became a song leader in a church. And then shortly after that, we moved to, to Austria. 1984, we came for five months to check things out. There was another little church plant here, and then we came back in 1985, and, and started our own church in our living room. So we've been here th- in Austria 38 years. Yeah, and I've learned a lot, a lot about um, warfare. I mean, you have Ephesians 6, which gives you a pretty good summation of warfare. Yes. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And that's that's the crux of warfare, being strong in his power, not in ours. And uh, my favorite verse for, well, let's say my pivotal verse, my cornerstone verse for for all all messages I I prepare is Philippians two, twelve and thirteen, which says uh, Paul Paul warns and he says, uh, be careful how you work out your salvation. Work it out with fear and trembling, and then the next verse says, for it is God. For it is God, meaning it's not you. And my 46 years, I've seen just so many Christians are trying to live the Christian life and don't realize for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So oftentimes when someone's defeated, um, I say, that's good. You know, hey, I failed. That's good. Now you can start. If you come to the end of yourself, then we can start talking discipleship. But you're so full of yourself that we really can't talk discipleship. But it's that two years, two, three years downwards to hit rock bottom is the bit that's not fun. Yeah, yeah. If you're, um, if you're lucky, it's only two or three years. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Amen. Yeah, so that's a good word, man. That's where I'm at. That's pretty awesome. Thank you. And thanks for all that service. I mean, see, I mean, the crazy thing, when I woke up, well, when 
I asked for a burning bush moment for 25 years from, from kind of what I call a circle of friends that are my God squad that I've had in my life for 25 years who've lived it. And they're not even like evangelical about it, but they are very authentic. You know, they, they live the word more or less in a, in a high, high performance way. And, um, and they, they would tolerate all of my spiritual discussions with them late into the night and all the, things I would try to unpack that weren't scriptural or biblical. Um, and I mean, without their dedication to my salvation, I guess you could say as friends, um, they, I would have walked away from me for sure. I would have said, Hey, I can't have this conversation with you anymore. And so I'm so appreciative and grateful for their dedication to staying with me as a friend. I mean, I don't, I honestly, you know, anyway, but, um, but through that, they said, well, you know, the only way you're going to have that is to ask for it. And so I, I, out of honor to them as my friends and my kind of peers and brothers, you know, in the world, unfortunately, um, I asked for it, you know, once a month, pretty much for 25 years. Yeah. You know, I just say once a month, you know, sometimes it might've been more, sometimes it might've been less often, but I know that it was been that long until it finally, dropped on me, you know, two years ago in a, in a, in a trip, but, um, so you were and, asking God to reveal himself or something? Yeah. I mean, I basically, in my words, I said, I need a burning bush moment, you know, until I have some kind of authentic experience that I can't deny anymore, then I'm not in, I'm not in, you know, and I just basically, that was my conversation with God for 25 years, you know, I mean, sure. I still, like I said, lived a fake Christian life for 25 years, you know, of good values and all those things. But I mean, it's clear, clear in the Bible, the only way through is through Jesus. So, so, um, yeah. And when I had that burning bush moment, you know, experience, then I said, okay, God, now my obligation to you is to never let go of the authenticity I'm feeling right now in this experience, because now here I am two years later living in the world, I could try to rationalize myself out of that experience and say, ah, it wasn't really what I thought, but out of honor, because I'm one of the most dedicated to my word people I've ever come across. Like I'll die on my word. And so my word is I'll never let go of that authentic experience that I had. And I recap it to myself to like, uh, I don't care what I try to process out of it. I'm going to hold on to it as that was my, that's when the veil got lifted. And then the next part of it is, when I meet people like you, you know, and I've worked with a lot of faith-based individuals and in, in corporations and things that when my, when the veil got lifted from me and I saw the world for what it was in every way, shape and form, I was like, how did I not see this before? I mean, I'm a high performance guy that reports to founders of global multi-billion dollar companies and systems and analytics and, and I look at all the data sets, you know, and I look for chains that are broken and, and try to optimize them. And so when I saw the world through a whole new lens, I was like, it was pretty emotional for a few months because I couldn't believe that I wasn't seeing all of it for what it was my whole life. And uh, that's the power of power of the dark side, obviously, you know, and so uh, the enemy. So when I, when I hear stories like yours and I think, man, you know, 46 years, man, I mean, what a journey, you know, like. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. I mean, Satan, it says 2 Corinthians 4, 4, he's the God of this world and has blinded the minds of those that believe not, lest they, lest the light of the glory of the gospel shine in their hearts. So his whole thing is to blind the minds and he blinds the mind through lies. And if we're not, if we're not aware of that, we just let lies fluster in our mind and it, we're just blind. Yeah. And father takes, of deception. Takes, He's yeah. a master of deception. And I mean. He's a father of all lies. It's amazing. And, yeah. John chapter 8, father of all lies. Well, and going back to what you said, Nikos, you had mentioned, um, you brought up the thought anyway from your perspective that maybe it, is it, it might be easier to be a warrior for Christ or, you know, lead in your community when you have a community or you're a part of a community where you have support and you feel it, maybe it's a smaller community versus being in London or some big city where, you know, there's much more separation. And I guess my speaking to that as if you are a believer, if you are a disciple, then it is almost, I feel as an obligatory kind of person of service to the people I serve. And now if I serve, you know, the father, you know, then, um, I feel an obligation, whatever circle I enter into, to drop some direct hint or statement that says, hey, by the way, I'm a Christian. Or, you know, to, so it always serves to enable a conversation starter. You know, it doesn't have to be inflammatory or challenge or, you know, over the top. It just opens the door to like, hey, whatever I seem to represent here, just so you know where I come from, this is this is my foundation. And... I also am pretty mindful about the words I choose. I, I try to use objective language that is concise and, you know, direct. I'm no saint. You know, I don't live a perfect life. I drink a beer. Maybe I'll drink two, but I don't get drunk. You know, um, I, the world is a messy place and I work in a lot of messy environments. And so uh, I'm going to fail. I'm going to sin. I'm going to do a lot of things, but not necessarily with a will to do so, you know, it's just going to be a, it's going to be the consequences sometimes, unfortunately. And, you know, and I don't get hung up on those consequences and feel shame or guilt by them because I'm ultimately trying to pursue doing the right thing. And many times I'll be with people who are Christians or not Christians and I'll bring it up and it'll start a conversation wherever I am. Somebody in that room will be like, Oh, they'll ask questions. Uh, they might challenge me. They might be closer as a seeker and wanting to be a believer, you know? And so some of this on a very like low level for me is about for, forget the, forget the rationalizing, like you're kind of sharing of like why it's easier or harder. That's irrelevant to me. It is on each person's heart and responsibility set to do their best, right? And if, if they know that everywhere they go, they represent the Lord, they're going to feel a compulsion probably to speak about it, you know, to, but, I, you know, and even with that, I have close friends. I have a really close friend who he feels his calling is to restore Jesus's good name. And, and I thought that was a crazy big statement. And it is. I actually kind of jokingly call him, he might be God's actual CMO on the earth chief marketing officer because the guy has just amazing modern language for 
scripture and speaking the word and communicating to, you know, today's generations. So, but as I threw that out there, just as I did now with him thinking that's part of his mission of restoring Jesus's name, I throw that out there and I get different comments or different reactions. And recently I got one of the reactions I got was, yeah, you know, I think people just hear the word Jesus and it just like makes them cringe. Like they don't want anything to do with it. It's like Jesus has a bad name. And I was like, holy crap. That's, that's exactly what my buddy Adam is. His name, strangely enough, son, son of man, I guess it is. (laughs) Um, yeah. Um, shout out to Adam, uh, you know, um, so yeah, at what, I, that is also part of my process is I take uh, shreds of information or people's insights and I sprinkle them around to see what kind of reactions they cause because it helps me gather a bigger data set as to whether this is on the right course or I need to course correct or, you know, I'm way off my rocker here kind of thing. So, um, so I think more of these conversations and Nikos, when you find that there are other people thinking this way, and I mean, pastors are obviously, you dedicate your life to this, you, and you're the shepherd of your flock. And, you know, that's never, I, well, it's not my role, but I'm not going to say never, but um, I have no intent in that. But I'm not even feeling compelled to save people. You know, I feel like I am here to solve problems. It's been my career skill set. I'm looking at this systemic thing globally. One of the failings I see in this system called serving the Lord is a lot of men are not confidently willing to stand up in their communities when they're told to sit down and close their door and cover themselves and wait until the all clear. You know, um, sometimes that's necessary. I mean, there are bad things in the world and not everyone's equipped to be a first responder to them. But I think too many people chose cowardly outcomes to just sit and be sheep and not sheep as a part of the flock under the shepherd who is ready to lead, lead them to salvation, shall we say, but um, more so of just cowering and hoping it goes away or hoping this insanity stops. And it caused division in churches, it caused division in families, it caused division in friendships, and probably because there was no grounding, you know, it just, it, it, it destabilized the grounding of the faith of the world, so to speak, in Christ, you know, and so it's probably going to happen again. And so to me, the calling is start having these conversations out of a church environment, out of a building, um, making people question how confident are they to speak out, to speak up, to stand up, to, I mean, the Bible is full of these amazing, what, 12 individuals, really, 11 in the end, but against all odds, you know, like, I I don't, I don't claim to be one of those guys by any stretch, but we look for inspiration in Rocky movies and everything else in, in this world, what I've learned in my very short walk, and I'm no disciple, I am no scriptural quoter, you know, of any kind, but I'm surrounded by them. And so I hear amazing stuff, just like you're sharing. And I will champion bringing people to people like you. I will champion encouraging people like you to 
maybe step out of other environments that you have worked and you're doing it right now. You know, to me, this platform and this conversation, I don't find these conversations on the internet. Uh, I don't even find them in my church, to be honest, or the churches I visit. So I don't know what the format is. I don't know what needs to happen, but I know that every time I have this conversation in a seeking way or in, in a group of men that serve the Lord, they all say, man, this would be great. Yeah. I don't know where that is, you know? And so, and I've been doing this for the better part of a year and it's not taking flight. It's not gaining bigger traction. You know, that's been frustrating. It hasn't ignited on its own in some way. But even Nico said, you know, he sat in on a few of our calls um, when we have people call into our little group that we jokingly call Fight Club because it's just propagating the the book and the movie, you know, as a cultural kind of thing. But um, it does sometimes become a Fight Club because we're talking about the fight in this world and we're talking about the fight that we feel against non-believers or different things. And so it does seem to be a nice, maybe lighthearted um, way of saying, Hey, let's do fight club tonight. You know, are you on for fight club next week? Kind of thing. It's got a manly element to it. You know, we keep it scripturally based, but, um, but anyway, um, where are you, I guess, on these topics? I mean, how do you encourage, I mean, I know that, let me throw one last thing in there because you, you said it. And when I find myself in groups of 20 or 30 uh, faith-based groups, and then maybe one or two or three of them will be pastors or elders. And, you know, um, and, and to be honest, I mean, a lot of where I come from in the last few years has been on a kind of a serving and anti-trafficking exposure and uh, deep dive on understanding how that world and reality works globally. And so one of the diffusers, shall we say, when, when I talk to people that have long been in the church is like, Hey, it's not a fight of flesh and blood. It's Ephesians, you know, it's principalities and, you know, dark, dark forces, spirit, you know, blah, blah, blah. And hundred percent, get it. But then my caveat back to them and the things I've seen, the people I've talked to, um, I, I say, well, I get it. And, and prayer is powerful and, and the word is the weapon, but there are children and, and women and even men in slavery on the earth today to the count of millions, tens of millions. And, um, they are experiencing a physical, suffering. And so that is my rebuttal, I guess, to, you know, yes, it is a non-physical fight. It is a spiritual war, but, and not everyone is equipped or going to to take the role of kinetic engagement or physical engagement. And again, I'm not here ever to mention vigilantes or any kind of uprising physically, but, you know, the, the, the popular phrase, whoever coined it, you know, they're thankfully that there are good men willing to bring harm on bad men, basically to keep us safe in our beds, essentially. Um, 
many of those special operators out there do have a, a Christian faith, you know, do have a faith based thing. And so when I have these conversations, I mean, they have seen the atrocities of the world. And so they run toward gunfire, they run toward violence to be that, uh, intermediary against evil, I guess. And so that is not really what my whole conversation here is about, but it is an element of which has to be acknowledged, I guess, that, it brings the question, if in your community, when a thing called COVID-19 might shut down your, your, your church and everything in your life, at what point will you physically stand up and say enough is enough and you, you can't stop us from gathering to you know, serve the Lord and, and walk in our faith, so to speak. And so that, that would be a minimal physical kinetic action that might be something that would be brought to the front of this conversation, I guess, as an action, not so much about stopping anti-trafficking on the other end of an extreme scale of, of, of kinetic action, I guess. That's a lot. Sorry. So um, take it away, Rob. All right. Well, quarantining is in the Bible. I mean, I had a conversation with someone who left our church and they left because because uh, we honored the quarantine. And I said, just read Luke 17. Um, the uh, Jesus and the 10 lepers. I said, he, they all got healed. The guy came back and he, well, he healed them and sent them to the priest. Why? To be, to be released from quarantine because they were under quarantine. Just go to the priest, register, tell them you're clean, show them your skin and you're released from the quarantine. So I would honor, if the quarantine was legitimate, then absolutely honor it the best right. I can. But you know some of it is just yeah, not true. Yeah. So you have to find that line between I gotta make a putting, note. A tar- putting a target on yourself. And because you know the devil is just would love for the church to put a target on itself and to say, you know, we're not going to obey. And then boom. Just put us right out of action. So right. you got to walk the fine line. Matthew 10, 10, 16. Be wise as a serpent, gentle as a dove. And, you know, we, we tried, we tried, we honored what was legal and we pushed for every loophole we could find. People, there was, you know, polarization in the church. Some were super into, into the restrictions and some were totally against it. And finding the balance, you know, we had to walk the line, and we did. And uh, it was not easy, but it definitely was possible. And we came out pretty well in the end. And uh, But that's that's being a warrior. A warrior is that, to me, the first thing that comes to my mind is First Corinthians one twenty nine: No flesh is going to glory. So whatever you're doing, if you're glorying, you're not a warrior. Because Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Whatever I do, all glory goes to him. So first thing on the agenda is, is uh, Lord, what's your mind? What do you want me to do? Show me. James chapter 1, verse 5. Wisdom from above. If you, ask, if, you, if you need wisdom, ask for it. I will give it to anyone, no questions asked. No reproach. No questions asked. It's going to come right down from God. It's going to, he's going to put it on the screen of your mind, and you're going to know what to do. And he's going to get the glory. So 
I got to walk with Christ as sanctified as Lord of my heart. First Peter three fifteen, sanctified as Lord in my heart, but also of my heart. So everything I do is is under His rule. He's my Lord, right? And uh, so, do you want me to do this? Um, I'm, and so many times you have to do the thing where you don't look so good, but you did the right thing. I don't want it necessarily to look good in people's eyes. I just want God's will to be done. And I might say something or initiate something that nobody knew came from me, but it was it, it came on the table and God, God's will was done. And I walk away knowing his will was done, but there's no glory in the flesh. Right. I was, um, yeah. And uh, being wise as a serpent, gentle as a dove. I, I was praying for my neighbors the other day and I was out with the dog at one o'clock and suddenly out of nowhere comes this figure out of the dark. And it's one of my neighbors that I, I tried to witness to a couple of times, but it didn't, it didn't work. He's from Korea. And I uh, starts playing with my dog and, and I'm just listening to something on my phone. And then I took the phone off and I prayed. I said, Lord, you want me to witness to this guy? Okay. And I just got the green light in my heart. Colossians 3.15, let the, let the peace of God rule your heart like a referee. I look for green lights, red lights from the Lord, yellow lights. And I got the green light and I just said to him, hey, are you a Buddhist? I like that line. Are you a Buddhist? I know because if they're not, they kind of react. And if no, and uh, he said, "No, no, no, I'm not a Buddhist." So what are you? He says, "Oh, I was a Christian, but I'm not anything now." And I said, "Well, tell me your story." For the next half hour, he told me a story. He just told me a story. Talked and talked and talked, and he finally said, "You know what? I don't. Be- I don't believe there's a God." I just waited for one moment, just one moment to take my sword of the spirit and make one incision and back out. And I just said, well, you know what? I believe in God. I said, you remember Jesus on the cross? What did he say to the thief? He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. So I said, and he just looked at me and said, I got goosebumps all over my body right now. And like the Lord was speaking to him. I didn't say much. I just said, hey, look, it's getting late. Go home and read John 14. So the next morning, my wife comes back out of walking from walking the dog. And she says, I just ran into the neighbor, the guy you talked to until 215. The first thing he says to me is he had this wonderful conversation with you last night until 215 in the morning. And, he, and your husband told me to read John 14. And this morning I read John 14 with my wife. We read it together. And I thought, wow, that that all started from a simple prayer. Lord, do you want me to witness to this guy? Because I'm an introvert and I'm going to stay in my little box. But if you want me to, then you do it. And suddenly it comes from heaven. All all glory goes to him. I'm just a vessel. And uh, it's not about me. It's about you, Lord. But I have to open my mouth and uh, and ask. Without me, you can do nothing. So, awesome. You know, I'm going no, to have to play this back so I can go back and look at all the scriptures that you quoted because <laughs> I was going to stop you and like, wait, I need, I, need to write, <laughs> I need to write that down. But man, you're killing it. I mean, wow. I mean, it's just stuff that comes I, I, that I comes out of my life. I don't memorize these verses. I memorize them because I use them. 
Yeah. That's what it says. The sword of the spirit is the word. The word is Rima, the spoken word. The word comes out of your mouth. Every day I pray three things. Lord, I want to come under the authority of your blood. Cleanse me of all unrighteousness and cleanse me of my righteousness because that's worse than unrighteousness when I think I'm righteous. Cleanse me of that too. Number two, I want to come under the authority of the Holy Spirit. So fill me with peace and joy. Fill me with your spirit. Lead me, guide me. But number three, fill my mouth with your word because I'm only going what I'm speaking. So I always, I'm always talking. If you're near me, you'll hear me talking. I'm talking. I'm just talking. Lord, I need you. Lord, you said this. This is what I need. You said you'll promise me wisdom. I need it right now. Right now. And he does. He doesn't. It, it comes. If you believe it, he says, if you don't believe I'm going to give it, don't even ask because I'm not going to give it to you. When I ask, I believe. And you say, Lord, I need wisdom. And I'm just looking for it to be written on the, on the screen of my mind. And the next few thoughts that come around, I say, is that you? If I get the green light in my heart, that was him. He spoke to me. Then I go with it. And, that's, uh, yeah. that's powerful. That's powerful. Just, just in what you said about not having self-righteousness, I find that it's easier not to have self-righteousness when you're at the bottom of the trough, you know. <laughs> that's, that's, there's not much difficulty not having your own yeah. self-righteousness. Yeah. You've been stripped of all of your ego at that point. In our yeah. sixth year of marriage, my wife had a nervous breakdown. We were in Austria. And she had it nine months. She was a basket case. And it was our marriage was over. She wanted to leave. She didn't believe she was a believer anymore. She was like, not so. And in the middle of it, I just said to her, you know what? This is the most important thing ever happened in your life. Because now you know it's all grace. Because she was legalistic, you know. If someone didn't come to our little church, she'd say, where were you last week? Why didn't you show up? I said, hon, you can't be like that. Come on, that's... The, that's just not. That's not the way it works. It's yeah. not about getting on people's case. If they want to come, they'll come. Get off their case. But she didn't. <clears throat> she had a breakdown, and um, it was the oh. best thing ever happened to her. And I told her in the midst of it, every this is going to be the bedrock of the rest of your life. And that was like thirty. I don't know, thirty-two years ago. Man. That was like nineteen eighty-seven. That's amazing. And uh, and, and she, she re- references it with everything. And she'll even tell me, look, hon, you don't know what it's like to be in depression. We, we got to do this. We got to do that to help that person. So that's, that's her whole ministry coming right out of that. That's the best thing ever happened to her. That's huge. Well, it's amazing that you could see it for what it was. What was that, Nikos? I was just asking if you wanted a glass of water. No, I'm fine. My voice a little raspy, right? He's got a good voice for, good voice for radio. I like it. Yeah, he's a machine. He's a, he was preaching today as well, and just come back from other other ministries. For me, a lot of the battle is just trying to. Because I'm a software developer, so a lot of the time I'm full time writing programs and dealing with digital stuff and very materialistic, mathematical type of things. And for me, a lot of the battle is sort of trying to switch from this intense effort psychologically to these realities of like eternal salvation and destiny and God and the Holy Spirit. And, and sometimes it's just because if you're staring at a screen for eight or nine hours of a day, sometimes it's just for me tricky to, to pivot from that and to like act on the way I'm supposed to walk as a Christian. And I'm, I feel 
I was, I feel convicted by what you were saying today about witnessing to every taxi driver he's with and stuff like that. And I'm not saying you have to be legalistic about that, but I just find it myself. It's something I need to improve on is my, my witness. Yeah. Well, I mean, even saying when you part ways with someone, God bless or something, I mean, it's a, it's a tell that you're a believer, you know, I mean, whether you wear a cross or someone says something that you agree with and you just say, Hey, amen, you know, kind of thing. I mean, it, it, there's lots of subtle ways to interject it in the conversation to where someone's paying attention and open to the conversation or any kind of interaction on it. They're going to catch that little, that little tell, and then they're going to choose to either build on it or not, you know, but if we're totally discre- discreet, there's no opportunity, you know, kind of thing. So, um, so, you know, again, I mean, I've got a really good group of guys around me and it's interesting. I mean, cause again, I'm, I'm not an operational guy, even though I've worked in that world. So, I mean, I'm guilty by association of, of the, the uh, responsibilities that, that some of those organizations might have been a part of, I guess. And, and so when I bring in some of my friends that were tier one kind of black side guys for many years, and I know they walked in the Lord during those careers. Now, of course, having a conversation with them about being a warrior for God is a very different um, point of view where they have delivered a lot of death in their careers and, uh, and, and gone home to the Bible that probably after that, that mission or that op, you know, kind of thing. And, um, and so to engage them in these conversations about what a warrior is, of course, mostly across the board, they're all like, first of all, most people don't really understand what a warrior is as far as like when it comes to violence And so it's a very, in our culture, it's very glorified to be associated with warriorship and, um, and probably 99% of men on the planet don't really have a clue anymore about what being a warrior really is, you know, in, in the sense of, and I'm, you know, I'm not coming in here with a prescriptive thought on this because I hadn't thought it through deeper in a, in a definition way. But I mean, that to me, a warrior is someone who's going to fight for their village or fight for their family or fight, you know, stand up against forces that are trying to enact some heavy oppression, you know, and that might be physical, it might be restrictions, you know? And, um, so the act of warring, I guess might be the, the root of being a warrior is, resisting the oppression, resisting the the conflict that's being brought to your door. And so there's probably many flavors of what being a warrior is or being willing to fight for what you believe in. Um, but it sure stems from what's in your heart and whether peace is the catalyst in your heart, because if you're not seeking peace and resolution in your warriorship, you are just a violent person. Essentially you are just, and so, you know, I don't think I've had this part of the conversation before, but again, I look at every conversation. Somebody I'm sitting with is the one that's 
drawing something out of me and you have this piece about you and you've been dedicated to this walk for your whole life. And as you say, you're an introvert who probably only goes extroverted when you're called um, or when you get into a role of leading your church because that takes an extroversion. But then, hey, you can go back to your introverted kind of like self-management of energy and perspective. My safe, and, my and safe place. <laughs> safe place, right. And, and you know, yeah. Well, and funny thing is, I think a lot of guys in the special operations world are also introverts. Um, uh, they have to work extrovertedly, you know, in, right. in a high output environment and perform competitively in the training space, competing against themselves to prepare for things that are unknown at all times. And then, thrust themselves into environments of, of extreme challenges that are often you prepare for every outcome and they're still going to be facing unknowns. So in that world, um, three descriptions always stuck out or some of them are used as part of their recruiting is like, um, high speed adapter, um, high speed learner and high tolerance for ambiguity, you know, kind of thing. And, and so, um, those are challenging things to introverts, but I think that's the overcoming part. And so, um, so with all of that kind of context, having a centered place, you know, especially if it's biblical and scriptural, knowing what your core is, knowing what, I mean, you've articulated it beautifully. Um, can't wait to go back and listen to this instead of just asking you over and over to keep repeating it. But, um, but, um, it's, uh, you know, that's the difference between, um, you know, there's another context of warriorship and, and this world on this world of people that carry guns, people that carry weapons of, of impact and, um, sitting in this empty airport right now, but, um, um, somewhat empty, um, and so that I won't use any colorful stories here, but there is always some kind of person that is just delivering extreme destruction in those environments. And, and they don't have that core anchor. They don't have, they're not, it's not a hearts and minds mission for some of them. They are, it is a bloodlust kind of thing. And um, there's no place for that in the house of God, you know, and, and standing up as a warrior, you know, and so it is interesting. This conversation for me is bringing forth a lot more grounded realization that you completely embody of, because a lot of people use the wording, Hey, and you said it yourself in a different way. It, it takes a dedication to the word to become a disciple. You know, there's, there's, there, it takes a discipline to, I mean, that is being a disciple is the core part of having discipline. And so you know, I wouldn't consider myself a disciple. I consider myself a believer. I want to be a disciple. And, you know, I'm trying to use the skills I have to make an impact and affect people to think more and be willing to step forward in difficult situations. But, um, but we talk a lot about what is violence and what is the necessity for violence and is there a necessity for violence and, 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 and this is coming back to, you know, the Ephesians reference you made about, you know, principalities, not flesh. 
and um, and what enforces the laws of the world is violence. You know, it's just approved violence. You know, if you don't do what you're told, local law enforcement will come and enforce that if you're breaking those laws. If if you are going to outperform the local law enforcement then the local military, the national guard is going to come in. If you're going to be bigger than the national guard, then the main, you know, it, it, there's an escalation until. Right. Then NATO's going to come. <laughs> yeah. Then it's, it's biblical, you know, but, but the crux yeah, of that is. Game Grand Theft Auto where you fight the police and then the, the FBI and then the army. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and so it's, it's funny, but it's still recognizing that these are levels of violence and enforcement that are, Hey, I'm I'm just bigger and stronger than you. I got more tools, you know, and that's what wars are, you know, the issue of wars, all these things. So back to this, that's a, we're going micro to macro, but back to micro to the individual, you know, we have to abide by laws. We have to abide by rules. We have to have composure. We can't be, um, without measure in our actions, but back to the course, the core part of this conversation, right? Is like, where do the responsibilities lie on each individual on that warriorship? And, and maybe to some people, even the word warrior is off putting, you know, because there are extreme disciples that I know that would never get kinetic or act unless, you know, harm was coming at them or there's someone, a loved one essentially, but they're not the ones that are going to run into the burning building. No judgment on them. They're not going to, the ones that are going to run toward gunfight, gunfire, no judgment. Um, but even these conversations start to shine a light on, in your small communities, who are those people, you know, who will you be able to rely on, you know, who is a leader would you entrust that, you know, so-and-so would be the person that would watch that door. And, um, and then I, in speaking with Nikos earlier, um, I think you could also have a, a person that has been the kinetic actor a hundred times successfully ran toward gunfire, been the one to put themselves in harm's way. And then maybe the hundred and first time they have just, reach their maximum and they are tapped out like something stops them and they just can't, you know? And so you never know how you're going to respond until you're faced with the, exactly the scenario. But, um, you know, I feel like I'm diatribing here quite a lot, but, um, I'm just, I try to download a lot and then let people speak to what speaks to them because it allows me to be transparent. I'm not trying to, tailor an argument. I'm not even trying to corner anyone. I'm trying to like, I'm still trying to seek my own path. And, and, and then there seems to be resonance um, among everyone. I, all the men I speak with on this, there is some resonance of this conversation, but everyone has a different visceral reaction to it in some way, you know? And, um, and some surprisingly so. Like I said, some of the tier one guys I thought would be more on board were actually more like, hey, you know, you really need to check yourself when you're talking about this because violence is no joke. And, you know, crossing those lines is very spiritually risky, 
you know, can change you forever, you know? And, and so obviously in America, we have these active shooter scenarios in schools and their atrocities and, and, um, seldom are they handled perfectly, you know? And then when they are handled somewhat perfectly, like this young man who was, I think 30 or something and happened to be concealed carrying his gun and literally put, I might have the data wrong here. I think he was 40 yards away from this active shooter, drew his pistol, um, put nine rounds combat accurate on that person in 15 seconds and ended that active shooter situation. I mean, that's almost as textbook as anyone could dream of. I mean, how many lives did he save? No stray shots. I mean, I got guys that are literally people I would want to fight my way out of hell with that are operators that said, I don't think I could, I don't think I could have performed that, that well. I mean, so, you know, as a Christian, you go, man, that dude must have, must have been imbued with the spirit to be able to pull that off, you know? So, um, in contrast, I think in a recent school shooting, there was a delay of over 20 minutes where the law enforcement failed to move. And in which time, how many more people were shot and injured? You know, again, this is political and I'm not trying to get political. I'm sharing it as data, you know, more so. Um, but um, those are obviously violent um, examples of actual violence, you know, from uh, perpetrators, victims and heroic efforts. Um, but um, I guess I'm just bringing attention to them because they are things that happen in this world. And if we don't mentally think about them ever, we don't have a plan, you know, when they do occur in our environments. And um, as a martial arts guy for my whole life, scenarios and, and, uh, and then working with the military, you know, you, you prepare, 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 train, 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 you know, plan, plan, plan. So, um, that's again, why part of this, you know, Nikos has kind of facilitated this as, um, they, we may not have all the answers, but to be able to speak about the questions can continue a conversation, I guess, among people that listen to these things and stimulate better outcomes in the future, I guess, is the hope. How do you feel? Well, Peter said, um, Lord, I will die for you. I will die for you. And he, and it says, and all the others said the same thing. And he said, really, you're going to die for me? You're going to lay your life down? You're going to deny me before the cock crows. Three times you're going to deny me. But then after he restored him in John 21, he said to him, uh, Peter, when you grow old, you're going to go somewhere where you don't want to go. Another is going to take you there. Another is going to take you there. And you're going to stretch forth your hands. And you're going to glorify God. And then the next verse says, he was indicating what sort of death Peter would die. And then Peter says, and what about this guy? Like Peter's kind of freaked out. But the very thing he wanted to do for Christ, he wanted to lay his life down. But he couldn't do it in his own flesh. He would later do it through the Holy Spirit, would take him near. And, um, you know, my my. My wife's grandfather, he was a pastor in Korea. And when he was in college and in the university, they had to bow to Shinto. And he didn't want to bow to Shinto because he was a Christian. But they said, if you don't bow to Shinto, you gotta, you're got you done with school. You're going to be a peasant the rest of your life. 
And his classmates said, look, just give a little nod. It's just they only want a little nod. You don't have to believe in your heart. Just nod your head and you're through. So he didn't want to be a peasant. So he just nodded his head a little bit and they said, you're fine. You go to back to university. Well, years later, he was married, had a church in Pyongyang and the communists came and the, 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 um, allied forces said, pull, pull out, pull out of the north because the communists are coming down. And he said, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not running anywhere. He stayed with his church and he said, I'm not denying Christ twice. He stayed with his church. Everybody fled. All the pastors fled. He stayed and he was martyred. They either drowned him or burned him in a prison. And uh, <clears throat> you don't know what you're going to do until the Holy Spirit fills you. I don't know. You, I, people ask me, well, what would you do in the situation? I said, I don't know. I just know. I would just, whatever the Holy Spirit fills me enough to do, I'll do. And I don't get any glory. But I'll go with the Holy Spirit and I'd be open to whatever the Holy Spirit says. And then you know when he fills you, you can do anything. But if he doesn't fill you, you could deny Christ. So, you know, a warrior is is dependent on him and ready to do anything. And so Peter was crucified upside down. That was unbelievable, you know. And they say that his last words were something like, um, I'm not worthy to die like my Lord. Then they turned him upside down and he said, I, if I only, if I wish I had a hundred lives to give for my Lord, something like that. That's all Holy Spirit stuff. And he, God gets the glory, you know, but Peter was a warrior. Jesus was a warrior, went to the cross, endured the cross. Like, wow, he is the warrior of warriors, right? Unbelievable. Yeah, this, this, Amen. something come to mind with this is like, in, this, in the Gospels, it says that the, the, whole, the wind blows where it wishes, so are those that are led by the Spirit. So sometimes we can get confused by the direction our life is going, but we're also carried by by energy and forces that are stronger than our, ourselves if we are submitted to God's will. So that's why we sometimes can't understand why life has gone the way it's gone, because we're operating on a higher energy level that's empowered by... This Holy Spirit that's enabling us to be warriors, you know. So we couldn't accomplish not supernatural things with just normal flow of timelines or practicalities or relationships or or works to accomplish what we need to do. That we need to be submitted to what that will of God is, and that's what Colossians asks us. To, to pray for us, to pray for that knowledge of God's will, because we, sometimes if we don't know what God's will is, we will be discouraged and then have apathy. So that's what I often pray in the morning: is What's your will today, Lord? Help me to find that will, so I can at least help get me out of this ditch. <laughs> at least, <laughs> you know? yeah. Second yeah. Corinthians four thirteen. They believed and they spoke, so we believe and we speak. Meaning the ancient prophets, the ancient heroes of the faith, they believed, they spoke, we believe, we speak. And it's got to be coming out of your mouth. It's got to be, Lord, you said it. I believe it. Lord, you said it. I want it. And I can't just think it. I got to say it. I got to say it. There's no power in what I think. It's in what I say. 
and I can say it in my mind if my if I'm if you know if I got tape over my mouth, but I gotta say it. That's the sword of the spirit, is the spoken word. The spoken word is the sword. When I speak it, boy, there's power. Well, and I know the reference of Genesis is, you know, the word is what creates, you know, and so recognizing hey, the power Tibor. of the word. Yeah, Pastor Tibor invited me to come to a prayer meeting tonight. He says, it's just going to be a prayer meeting. And then, then he, he's standing next to me, whispers in my ear. He says, right after this, you're going to speak. And it's like, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because I know already that God, if I'm asked, God will fill me. And I just said, Lord, I'm here. Fill my mouth. It's all about you. It's not about me. You're faithful. I'm an introvert, but I'll extrovert in about two minutes. And boom, it just you just know it's coming because you know he's faithful. You know it's not about you. And uh, you speak it out, and boom, that was there. And I, I said to him, Lord, what should I speak on? And then suddenly it came out of Pastor Tibor's mouth. He went right to Revelations 1. He says, until the, when the Lord comes back. And I said, okay, Lord, that's it. First Thessalonians 4, boom, kick it right in. And you just knew it was going to happen. There was no reason to like start thinking, oh, I can't, I'm not ready. I got to go. I got to, you know, it's like, come on, come on. You're just, you're just on call. It's all about God's spirit in you. Boom. He's just right there. And he's, if he asks you, he's faithful. Just step into it. Step into it. Be proactive. Yeah. If, if you're led by the spirit, you're sort of dependent on that energy like a, a windsurfer knows where the wind is so he isn't like under pressure to produce the wind he just used, used, he's just used to catching the wind and that's exactly. fine apply that to anything that i'm doing whether it's software development podcasting praying working with um aid organizations um I, I try not to do it if it's sort of empowered by my own on god's will tasks you know so I'm not saying that everything you do has to be hyper spiritual and you know, is it God's will for me to watch this YouTube channel or to, to step this step ten steps to the right. No, I'm not talking about I'm just talking about like this direction of the day. You know, Jesus Jesus talks a lot about focus on the day, don't worry about tomorrow in a sense. And so when you're yeah. in this bottom of a trough, then you sort of can't really even see it. A week ahead, you gotta just sort of do it by day by day in a sense. So that's right. uh, that's where a lot of the miracles happen, you know, and so yeah, I don't know no. if you can actually get to a point where you're you're com- comfortable and yet desperate for God at the same time. That would be great. It'd be a lot of not painful lessons to have, you know. <laughs> I can relate to that description. I mean, uh, I mean, I I feel very grounded. Might not be the right term, but anchored in my belief in the Lord. Mm-hmm. But I fight with the Lord every day, much of the day, because I'm, you know, without going into it, Nikos knows my story this year. You know, I probably had the hardest, I have had the hardest year of my life this year in every way I can imagine, ways I could never have imagined. Um, you know, and breakups and family disputes and things of these natures that, that, uh, you know, have pushed me beyond limits I didn't know I had, but at the same time, it's never made me doubt for a second, you know, that the Lord is 
there, but it has made me like serving a, what I would call a boss that I respect, but I don't like the decisions that are being made. And I don't understand why we're doing this, but I respect you and I'm going to keep doing the work and I'm going to keep doing what you asked me to do, but I'm going to argue and I'm going to have, have yep. some, have some bitterness about it even, you know, I mean, if I'm really honest and, and, uh, if I were to describe it in those ways, you know, and I, I wouldn't even be so kind to myself saying, Hey, I'm like Israel, I'm wrestling with God. You know, I'm literally like maybe arguing him, arguing with him. Like he's my best friend, but my best friend happens to be my boss that I have to re- report to, you know, but I'm going to think that maybe I know better in this situation, even though he's the creator of all things. There's no doubt about, you know, he's the creator of existence. So I've been pushed hard in a lot of those times. And, um, you know, even this week I, I talked to Nikos, um, you just brought it up about having God at the center of things. And, you know, and I mentioned that we've been having this conversation for the last year plus. And, you know, somebody brought up to me after church on Sunday about surrendering. And that's been a theme, obviously, and anybody who's, strong-willed is probably has difficulty with surrender. And even though I try to think and believe that I can check my ego and be a good steward of humility. um, Every time I think I'm surrendering, I look back later and go, I think I didn't really surrender. And then somebody brought it up on Sunday and said, you know, was just listening to me and goes, I think you really need to embrace surrendering, you know, and just out of nowhere. And I'm like, And I finally just felt like, you know, I think I just don't have a clue how to actually surrender. And I know the prayer is, hey, you know, Lord, you know my heart, you know me, you know, show me, give me the tools to surrender, show me how to surrender, put it in me, whatever the ask is. But in that, I feel like, you know, I think I'm a lot farther than I actually thought I was in this walk, Uh, farther behind than I thought I was, should I say. And then I was like, hey, you know, maybe I should just pull the plug on having these conversations and trying to rally people to be, you know, more warrior-like and standing up for God. Because I felt like maybe God's not in this. Maybe I'm just making this because it's my been my pursuit to try to rally people to be their best selves. And so I was like, you know, I'm just going to call my guys and say, hey, I'm, I'm out. I, I'm not equipped for this. And I think I've just been pushing it. And God's not in it because that's why we're not making the progress that I felt like we should have made by now. And I told that to Nikos and Nikos is like, well, Hey man, these conversations we've had the few times we've had them have been some of the most meaningful conversations to me that I've had in a long time in it, around the faith. So they're valuable to me. And I was like, okay, that's fair. And I feel the same way. And then, you know, I was going to, I was still going to just, well, maybe we just take a break. Cause sometimes when you walk away from something, finds a new, new life, new legs, someone else picks up the baton and runs with it and takes it to a, a new destination. So, and then I was going to contact my little circle. And then of course the day I was going to do that, I get a text from one of them in that circle. And he goes, Hey man, my marriage just took a turn for the worse. I need you guys to pray for me. You know, this is the worst it's ever been kind of thing. And so then I was like, well, then we should just get together tonight. I mean, this is what, we're supposed to do if we're warriors for God and we're supposed to stand up and support each other. And 
So why don't we just have like a, I know you probably don't want to because you're in the thick of it right now, but why don't we just have kind of an emergency get together? And then I called some guys that never show up said, Hey, you know, so-and-so is in a bad way. You could argue that he's even expressed suicide in the past from, you know, if my wife were to leave me, I don't think I could live with that. And so I was like, you know, this is a real thing. Like this is, maybe this is an example of us stepping up in our community. And so five or six of us got together on no notice and went over there and ended up spending four hours talking about all kinds of things, you know, and referencing scriptures and, you know, sure he was exhausted by the end of it, but, you know, he did express like, this was very valuable. I don't have a circle of other friends that I can rely on. You know, you guys are the ones and you guys all came here and we broke bread and we shared this. And, um, so it made me think, okay, got the message, you know, I was ready to pull out. And now you said you, you, some guys responded favorably to this. Then Nikos called me, you know, you mentioned, mentioned this conversation last night. So here we are, you know, so again, God is saying, Hey, you've been trying, you've been hitting a lot of dry holes. You didn't walk away. Here's a great conversation overseas. You know, thank you, Rob and Nikos, you know, Hey, here's, here's a positive impact on your immediate community with one of your brothers that really needs it. Um, I guess the question I have for you, Rob, you know, cause I'm, I feel like I'm doing too much talking here and everything you say is incredibly wise. And, uh, so, <laughs> so if I were Nikos and this call ends and I say to you, so what was your takeaway with, with, with him and, and what would your advice be to him in this journey? He seems to think that he's on and feel free to be as treat me as a baby Christian, treat me as a ego guy, treat me as, you know, if I'm a hammer and everything looks like a nail, you know, um, give me some direction that you're channeling because clearly you're a strong conduit for truth and clarity from from the Lord. So if you would. Yeah. Well, this word surrender, I mean, I understand what people are saying, but I, I have no reference to the word surrender in my Christian life. I understand it means not my will, but thy will be done. But that's like the derogatory side or the flip side of, of trust. I just like using the word trust. My power verses are Philippians 5, not Philippians, Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. Proverbs 3, 5, 6, 5, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. That's the flesh. Acknowledge him in all your ways. Acknowledge him. That would be surrender. Acknowledge him, but it's, it's stated in a positive way. Cause surrender is like, almost like, okay, I'm dead. I'm surrendered. I don't do anything. But, so th- there's like a, a downside to the word surrender, even though I know what they're trying to say. But acknowledge him in all your ways, and he'll make your path straight. Trust in him with all your heart. And so I, I have in my mind a shield of faith. I always carry my shield of faith. It says above all, above all, 
above all, take up the shield of faith. Like more important than anything, this is in the King James, more important than anything, take up your shield of faith that you can quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. A fiery dart is a satanically charged lie that's directed at you personally. It's a fiery dart. And and they come in real subtle. They don't feel like fiery darts. They just have a fiery dart effect. They burn you alive and you you shed you shed your you you deconstruct. You just abandon Christianity when that thing gets under the armor. Satanically charged lie for you, like it says in John thirteen. And then Satan put it in the heart of Judas to betray Christ. Put it in his heart. And it's real subtle. It's subtle, like Genesis 3. It's subtle. Subtly always comes in the form of a question. Is God, did God really say, do you really think you love God? Do you really think, blah, 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 blah. It comes in real subtle. And it just lands on the on the screen of your mind and you leave it there. And then it starts to de- deconstruct you as a Christian if you leave it there. But the shield of faith is, is you got to have a verse on that. And my favorite one is, as a negative person, introverted, negative, critical person, my shield of faith is all things will work to the good for those who love God. And I pick it up and I stick it out and I hide behind it. It's going to work. I don't care what happens. I don't care. I don't tell me the negative. I don't care what happens to crisis. My wife has a nervous breakdown. This is going to work to the good. This is going to work to the good. This is going to work to the good. No, it's not. Yes, it is. God says it's going to work to the good. No, you're a fool. You followed God for nothing. No, I didn't. It's going to work to the good. Just wait. You'll see. Just wait. I'm hiding behind my shield, which is a warrior weapon, right? Shield, and then you got the sword of the spirit come over the top. So, yeah, I like this idea of surrender, but I like to have it in a positive so that it's an active thing. Because surrender is kind of like, you know, I'm getting tied up and I'm passive. But trusting him is an active thing. Acknowledging him in all your ways. Every decision. Lord, you know, is this the car I'm going to buy? Is this the house I'm going to buy? Is this the apartment I'm going to rent? Is this the person I'm going to marry? Acknowledging him in every decision of my life. And he makes my path straight. And it's very powerful. It's very it powerful. Is. It goes Thank along you. with Romans twelve one. Present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Present a living sacrifice. So the Lord comes down. And he says, "Solo, you want to come with me to heaven? Really now? For sure? Yeah. But you got to sacrifice your life here. Okay? Yeah, I'll come. I'll come." And He says, "Look, this is what we're going to do. You're going to be a living sacrifice. I'm going to leave you down here. You're not coming yet, but I want you to live like you were going to come tomorrow. So be a living sacrifice. You know, holy and acceptable." to me, proving what is my will for you, proving it, proving my will for you. Wow. That's our life, proving his will, you know, proving his will. And we don't always know it, but we we have Colossians 3.15, the green card, the red card, and the yellow card. And I'm always looking, God, which card? And sometimes I'm so shocked because he gives me a red card. And he says, no, don't do this. Stop. Stop. I was memorizing the book of Romans in German. I finished the first four chapters. It took me, I don't know, a year or so. I got to chapter five. I started the first verse and I got a red card. And God said, no, I don't want you memorizing the Bible anymore. I want you to pray. No no more reciting Bible in the car. I want you to talk to me. Talk to me now. 
And you just know, like, he's so real. The red, the green, the yellow. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of God umpire your heart. That's like so real every single day of my life. And, you know, he may not have to, he may not give me a, vo- a visual or a, uh, an oral voice in my ear, but in the heart, you just know there's peace, there's no peace, there's a question mark. And um, trust him in all your ways. He'll make your path straight, straight as an arrow. Wow. You're good. Mikus is happy. Look, yeah. he's smiling. How old are you anyway? Who, me? Yeah, how old are you? Uh, over 50. Like classified information. 50? Yeah. Over, yeah. A couple years. Yeah. Yeah, I'm 64 now. Wow. You look good. I would have guessed. I would have guessed you were barely 50. <laughs> Only because of the gray, not because of anything else, man. You're living right. Thanks. 64. Yeah, 64. Man, nice. Been married um, 40, 41 years. I've been married. 50. Wow. That's yeah. that's amazing. That's Well, this is, uh, I mean, you guys are up late there. So um, I feel super blessed from this conversation. A good time. I mean, it's, I, I, so, I, it, it's really, a, yeah, it's super, it's an honor to meet you, Rob. I mean, I. Thanks. You too. You. You were tapped in, you know, and I want to, I want to stay in contact. If you, yeah, sure. if I knew you'd you like him. Oh no, man, I knew you'd yeah. like him as well. Yeah, it's good stuff. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Rob is a real hero for us, really. What he's done you, for, for you. I don't throw the, I don't throw compliments around, but I mean, you're, you're special, you know, for Thanks. sure. You know, okay. I mean, if you're always this good, man. <laughs> you you need more exposure, man. I mean, uh, I'm feeling it. Uh, I don't know what I said. I and mean, when I look back on this, I'm going to be like, where where was I going with all that? But you just went right back to the scriptures or the, the stuff that matters. So, you know. Yeah, I need, I need to watch this like three or four times to take all this and take, take all this stuff out. But, um, yeah, I'll, I mean, if you're amenable to it, I'd like to do this again. And, yeah. you know, we can hone in, yeah. you know, because clearly you're a conduit for like for what's important. I like this you know? vibe of actually sitting with somebody in a podcast instead of always. That's yeah, cool. <laughs> no, this is cool. I mean, whatever we call this, it was, I mean, can't wait to share it with some of my circle here because they're going to love Possible it. Possible so. excuse to visit California once we can. <laughs> yeah. What state are you in? What state are you going to? Uh Currently in San Diego. Yeah. Uh-huh. I was there once. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Um, but yeah, well, want to pray us out, Nikos? I think. Uh, yeah, sure. Sure. Dear Father, thank you for Rob and Soul. I thank you for these gentlemen that we have um, all got together today and connected. And uh, I just pray for. There's, uh, these connections to be strengthened, like um, in the neurons, good connections are strengthened. And we pray for this relationship with Solo and Rob to deepen, and also um, the strategies would be formed out of it that would be impossible without both parties. And we just pray for your will. And this whole idea of being a warrior for Christ uh, and our fight club for Christ, we pray for this also to, to inspire many men we would be able to accomplish more 
and just one of the parts, Lord. And we just pray for the protection and your grace and mercy in all of our lives. And for those that are listening, we ask, Lord, that you, by your spirit, touch our hearts according to your will. We thank you for this this blessed time, in Jesus' name. Amen. So Amen. Good time. Good time. It's been good. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. High five. Thank you. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, Thanks. Uh, right. That was good. God bless you. Okay. Thanks, Rob. Me too. Okay. Talk to you guys soon. Thanks.